3. And here as we are looking to Nehemiah chapter 3, we can literally, and I was telling a few people today, we can literally take Nehemiah chapter 3 and apply it and pull that message out, this chapter out completely, literally, and apply it to a ministry meeting. You see, a lot of us here serve in ministry at different capacities. And maybe you're already serving in ministry. Maybe you are interested in serving in ministry. Maybe you used to serve in ministry. Or maybe the ministry that God has dedicated for you right now is the ministry of your own home. You see, we can literally take Nehemiah chapter 3 and talk in a ministry meeting about it because the title of today's message is The Blessing in Teamwork. The Blessing in Teamwork. Why? Teamwork is so important in ministry that we are united, that we're working together. That not only we're working together, but we're working side by side. You know when things get done? When people work side by side. You know when marriage gets done the right way? When they work side by side. When, when, when leaders start to develop uh, those under them and other leaders and other disciples, it was when they're serving side by side, right? Yesterday when I was studying and reading, the Lord just really on my own notebook, and I wrote this in a, in a separate page, not even on my notes for today, but I wrote, shallow ministry is when you don't care about anyone but yourself. Shallow ministry is when you don't care about anyone but yourself. Real ministry is when you want to become a part of other people's lives. I'll say that again. Shallow ministry is when you don't care about nobody but yourself. And real ministry is when you want to become a part of other people's lives. Are you becoming a part of anybody's life right now? Are you becoming a part? Are you doing life side by side with them? Are you building side by side to get the job done? Because that's exactly what we're going to see here. A side-by-side, -side, teamwork, leadership, contribution here, cooperation to get the wall completed. You see, in the last chapter, we learned that Nehemiah, not only did he pray, but he also persisted. Yes, he prayed, but he also persisted amongst or under attack. What are you going to do when attack comes your way? Are you going to persist? Well, I'll tell you, you will if you prayed. If you don't pray, then you're not going to persist. And we learn that even when you're doing something great for the Lord, and those attacks come, you must remember it's always too soon to quit. It is always too soon to quit. Just imagine if Nehemiah had quit because of Sambalat and Tobiah. That didn't leave right away after the first uh, you know, time that they came and criticized him and they complained against him. They, they, they didn't leave. They stuck around and complained and criticized for the entire uh, the remainder of the time that he was building the wall. However, he prayed and persisted and he remembered that it was too soon to quit. Because if he had to quit, guess what? The walls of protection, the walls around Jerusalem, around that temple would have never been completed. It's always too soon to quit. Nehemiah was resilient. Nehemiah was relentless when it came to opposition, when it came to attacks. And he did not stop and he did not give up. Today, maybe you need that encouragement to not stop. To not give up until the job is done. To not stay, you know, not, not take any shortcuts because you see opposition. 
Now, in Nehemiah chapter 3, you see here that Nehemiah becomes, from a cupbearer, he becomes a superintendent. Have you ever been to a construction site, right? Where they're building something, you know there's a superintendent. He was a superintendent and a prayer warrior. From a cupbearer to a superintendent and a prayer warrior. Uh, he was a foreman with the heart for God. I think today, more than ever, we need foremans. We need women and men that would stand in the gap and say, I'm the superintendent that is going to organize, that is going to be in charge and responsible to make sure that the walls go up. And we're going to see a list here in chapter 3 of a category of names, of families, of individuals that cooperated and that contributed. Last week we saw those that complained and criticized. Today we're going to see those that cooperated and contributed for the work. And here we learn in this chapter that mostly everyone did the work. Mostly everyone means that not everyone. <laughs> mostly everyone did their part, but not everyone. And we'll read that right now. That they built, they repaired, they were responsible. And this list of names it matters. Because it tells us who the people that were motivated, that they were inspired to help. They were enthusiastic, filled with hope. We're going to have protection. This matters to us. This is personal. Building the wall is personal. Building the wall is important. Is building the wall for you today, is it personal? Is it important? Does it inspire any type of hope that when these walls are up, that's going to mean protection for my family? That's going to mean protection for my spiritual walk? That's going to mean protection for any attacks of the enemy? That's important to me. That is personal to me. The wall is important. The wall requires priority. It requires that it's important to you. And if it's important to you, your name is going to be on this list that we're going to read today. Let's read it. Nehemiah 3 verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep's gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the, of the hundred and consecrated it. And it says in verse here, Then as far as the tower of Hananel. Next, Eliashib, the men of Jericho, built, and next to them, Jekor, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you because we are already learning so much from this list. In only three verses, there's so much to highlight. And I pray that you would, Lord, let us glean, let us Open up our eyes and mind to what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. So here we see that the, the gate is about, the gates and the doors and the walls are about to now start to be built. But as they start to be built, understand who begins the work. Understand who begins the work of building the wall. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Then Eliashib, and who was Eliashib? He wasn't just anyone. He was the high priest. Eliashib, the high priest. And I want you to underline high priest. What did he do? What did the high priest do? He rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. 
So the high priest was that man, not just any priest, he was a high priest that would intercede and go to the most holy place once a year in the temple. But it started, the building started with the spiritual leaders. The building started with those that rose up as ministry leaders. It was the high priest, it was the pastors, it was the leaders, it was those that were serving in the temple that started the building of the house. You want to see a work begin? in our community, in our families, in our church, it's going to start with the people that are serving in the temple of the house of God. And it started with the high priest. You know what this teaches us here when it comes to a high priest, which was a spiritual leader of that time? That spiritual leaders, and, and all of us here are spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders understand what it means to work hard. Spiritual leaders understand what it means to work hard. Because here, Eliashib, the high priest, what, what does it teach us? That he was a high priest, but what does a high priest do? He rose up and he started to work. He didn't wait for somebody else to do it. He, he rose up, he understood as a spiritual leadership, spiritual leader, what it means to work hard. And he was a godly example right here as to what to do when it, it came time to work. He didn't act, this is the way he didn't act. He didn't act like he was too spiritual to build the wall. Have you ever seen someone do that? Oh, you know what, I'm the high priest. I'm not gonna build any wall. I'm not gonna carry any, now, bricks. You want me to do it? I'm the high priest. Do you know who I am? You know what this teaches us here in very verse one? That, that nobody is ever too high and there is no work ever too small. And I'm gonna say that again because we all need to know that. There is no office too high and there is no work too small. I'm the high priest. I don't have to do that. There's no office too high for you not to do something because nothing is too small for you. And don't ever think that your responsibilities are only within the office of that title that you possess. Your responsibility should go beyond that title of the office in which you serve in, right? I'm the high priest. I'm the one that's just supposed to be, you know, praying and interceding. I'm in the temple. Let these guys go out and build, you know, move and, uh, bricks in and move the wall. Nobody is ever too high to do work. You know what he's doing here? He's teaching a servant leadership here, this high priest. Because there's no office too high and there's no work too small. You understand that? He didn't expect other people to do it for him. You're a leader and understand this. Others are looking, looking at you and they're looking at you very precisely and very distinctively. And as they're looking at you, they're going to follow your example. If, if you're a parent, they're following your example. If you come to church, they're following your example. If you're slow to work, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be slow to work as well. If you're full of discouragement, if you're full of doubt, they're going to be full of discouragement, and they're going to be full of doubt. If you're serving so lackadaisical, sewing up whenever you want, then those around you or those that look to you are going to be serving lackadaisical, and they're going to be showing up whenever they want, and they'll also get sloppy. This is exactly why the spiritual leader has to understand what hard work means. And it says here that what, the, what do they do with his brethren? It started, he said, I'm going to start with my brethren. I'm going to start here with my brethren. The priests, they're going to build. We're going to rise up and we're going to build here. What do they build? The sheepscape. It's amazing. Because there as high priests, they started to move bricks and to build the sheepscape. This is awesome here. The shepherds building the gate for the sheep. And look what happens here. 
They consecrated and hung its doors and built it as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it. What does it say? It says two words here in verse 1. They consecrated it. They consecrated it. You know what the word consecrate means at this gate? What do they do? They, the very first thing when coming to the walls that they were going to build, they built a sheep's gate. And then they consecrated the sheep's gate. And it says it two times, the word consecration. The word consecration means to set apart for holiness. They consecrated the work. Consecration means we're going to separate this work for holiness. The entire wall is going to start with consecration. The entire wall is going to start with dedication. This is the best way to start a work. From the beginning of building the entire work, they made a statement. They said, we built the gate, let's consecrate the gate. Because we're making a statement that what we're building, it's unto the Lord. It's a work unto God. It's consecrated. This wall is separated. This gate is consecrated. It's separated for God's special use. That's why we are consecrated as well, for God's special use. And from the beginning, they started with this dynamic. What was the dynamic? That this, the work, is unto God. You see, when you want to build something, that's the best way to start. Consecrate it to God. Dedicate it to God. Give it over to God. This is separated for you, Lord. We're building this family. We're building this marriage. We're building this ministry. We're building this church. We're, we're reaching out to the community. And guess what we're doing? This is consecrated. This is separated for the Lord here. And there's so much joy and success when you do everything unto God. In Colossians, what do we learn? Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whatever you do, here in, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You have something you're starting up? Before you continue, consecrate it. That's the best way to start any work. Oh, we're starting a new little venture of faith here. We're trying something new here. Consecrate it. Dedicate it to God. Start it the right way. What do they do? They made the wall about God. They didn't make the wall about themselves. Consecrate the work. Start it the right way. Verse 2. Then Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakor, the son of Amri built. Also here, as we continue in verse 3. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Now they're building these spiritual gates. What's going to happen here in verse 4? Let's read on. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, here made repairs. And I want you to underline, made repairs. Made repairs next to them. Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of here, Meshazabel, made, again, repairs. Next to Zadok, the son of Bena, made repairs. In one verse, you see three made repairs. What were they doing? You see first they start to build gates. And then here they're making repairs. What do we know about the wall? It has gaps. It's in ruins. It's destroyed. That means in some places of the, of, the, of the wall, there's nothing there. So they start to make repairs. What are they doing? They're closing the gaps. Is God today calling you maybe to close the gaps? Any gaps that are open in your family, in your, in your prayer life, in your life of devotion, any gaps there that are open, there that need to be closed? They're closing the gaps. Why, why does gaps do? They expose you to the attacks of the enemy. 
When you have a lot of gaps in your life, they're exposing you to the attacks of the enemy. You're not reading, that's a gap. You're not praying, that's a gap. And it exposes you to the attacks now or to the invasion of the enemy. These men, these, here, these men were making repairs. Now, the reason why I told you to underline make repairs is because in this, ver in this chapter, in only 32 verses, it uses the word repairs here 35 times. It, it had a strong emphasis on repairs. Today, what is God calling you to repair? What was once strong that now needs to be repaired? What was once up that now is crumbled down? What was once built that now is destroyed? Because here we see that these men dedicate themselves to repairs. So the word repairs, it's the idea, and I'll tell you this, this is interesting, it's the idea of strengthening, it's the idea of encouraging, it's the idea of making something strong. They're encouraging, they're making something strong, they're strengthening now those gaps and building the walls where there used to be a wall. Doesn't the Bible say that, that we're called to be built up and repaired with one another? In fact, it does say that in Ephesians 4.12 where it says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why the church exists, to repair, to encourage, to build up one another. In fact, when we come to gather the church, whether you have one distinctive gift and somebody else another one, the reason why we gather together is so that we can strengthen, repair, encourage, right? So that we can know how to serve and live for Christ both in and outside of the church. Understand, our job is to strengthen, to encourage, to repair even one another. When you come to church and you're serving with somebody in ministry, it's what? For what? We gather here, the purpose of it, the objective is it? Repair, strengthen, encourage, so that we can know how to live and serve God in church and outside of it. Repair, strengthen, encourage. Next time you come to church, come with that mentality. Repair, strengthen, encourage, make someone strong. Are you about making someone strong? Or lately, have you been about making someone weak? Because repairs, closing the gaps, help is meaning helping someone grow. Making someone strong, not making someone weak. Now verse 4, next to them, Meramoth, the son of Uriah, we read that verse, the son of Koz made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, the son of uh, Meshazabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadokah, the son of Bena, made repairs. And next to them, here, listen to this verse. This is an amazing verse, verse 5. The te uh, Tekoites made repairs. Now, something interesting happens here when we talk about the Tekoites. Because this family here, the Tekoites, that made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Now, you always have somebody that wants to, in a family, work, but somebody else in that family maybe doesn't want to work. And the Tekoites here, they said, you know what, we're going to work here. We're going to work. But the nobles, you know what another word for noble is? But the leaders. But the leaders said here in verse 5, they did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Notice that it doesn't, it doesn't say they didn't put their shoulders to the work of Nehemiah. It wasn't about Nehemiah. It was about the Lord. And it says they didn't put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Where's your shoulder at right now? Is your shoulder side by side? Is somebody serving the Lord? Someone picking up bricks right now? 
Or is your shoulder saying, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to put nothing, no burden on my shoulder. Forget that. The New Living Translation says the leaders refuse to work with the construction supervisors. Oh, no, we're not going to work with the, the construction supervisor. We're not going to do it. And, and really what was happening is that they wouldn't submit. They didn't want to submit. So they said, we're not going to serve. They didn't want to submit. They didn't want to bend their necks. I'm not going to bend my neck that way because you want me to pick up a brick. No way. Forget that. I have people before tell me in the past, you know what? You know, can you help us move this? We're going to move this from here. And then they looked at me. You're going to tell me what to do? I'm way older than you, man. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you see, and that, what is that? Pride. Pride. And sometimes you see people and others that don't want to be a, become a part of the work of God because of their pride. And the real issue is what, that they didn't want to submit. Maybe they thought they had a better plan. Maybe they didn't like how Nehemiah was doing it. It could have been one of those two. But whatever the reason was, you can be sure that they regretted it later when the wall was built. Sometimes you think, well, I have a better way of doing it. Well, I don't like the way Nehemiah is doing it. No, you know what you need when you start to serve? Humility and flexibility. Be humble and be flexible. That you will sure regret it in the times where you remember that you weren't humble and that you weren't flexible and you missed out on the great work that God was doing. It wasn't the work of Nehemiah. It was the work of the Lord. These men said, you don't get my shoulder dirty. Don't get my, don't, you want to put a, a burden on my shoulder that's heavy? Forget that. I'm not doing that. But guess what? Everyone else around them still served because they want to be a part of God's work. That didn't stop the rest of them. They still serve the Lord. Now, we're going to read here from verse 6 all the way to verse 32. You start to see a list of names. These are people of different professions. These are people with different personalities. These are people with no wall-building experience. Think about this. In this list that we're about to read, it's going to give us now personalities, professions, but it never names a carpenter or a builder. <laughs> Isn't that amazing what God does when He, when he uh, calls people into ministry and service? He usually calls you to do something you've never done before. Or something you're freaked out and scared out of your mind about doing that you don't think that you have the, the capability of doing. But limited experience doesn't mean limitless excuses. Think about it. Sometimes I have limited experience. So I think that I can have the limitless excuses out of my mind because I don't have those, those, that experience now. You know what the most important ability in the work of the Lord is? The most important ability, I'll tell you right here. The most important ability, you guys want to all serve, the most important ability in the work of the Lord is availability. Is availability. That is the most important ability in the work of the Lord is you becoming available. Is availability. The one who has few gifts and few talents sometimes, but has a passion and a drive to see God work and accomplish is, is, is far more effective than that person that is more gifted maybe, more talented, but doesn't have the passion or the drive to see the Lord's work move forward. It's always your availability that matters more than your ability. See, your ability is not more valuable than your availability. Your ability is not more valuable than your availability. A lot of times we think, well, you know what? I am so qualified to do the work, but what does it matter if you're never available? <laughs> oh, man, I wish, man, we, we used to do it like this. That's my favorite one. We used to, you know? 
Oh, I remember how, you know, I know back in the day, I, just, I was a part of something, you know. But you're never available. Your ability doesn't matter if you're never around. The best ability is availability, and you're going to see people from different professions, different personalities, all get involved to build a wall when they have no experience on what it was to build a wall. They didn't say, oh, I've never done that before. I'm not going to do it. No, they said, I know I've never done that before, but this is what I'm going to do now. They stretched themselves. They became flexible to do whatever was needed, right? Verse 6, and we're going to read this quickly. Moreover, Jehodiah, the son of Paseah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Abezodiah repaired the old gate. They laid its beams, hung its doors with its bolts and with its bars. And next to them, Melatai, the son of Gibeonite, Jaden, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon, Mizpah, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Anytime it says repaired, I encourage you, underline that and circle that. There's a lot of repairing going on here. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Haraiah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Okay, this is a goldsmith. He has no here wall building experience. Also next to them was Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the here broad wall. And here next to them was Raphaiah, the son of Ur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Now verse 10 we love the dynamics that take place here because it says, Next to them, Je Jediah, the son of Harumath, made repairs. Again, here, Jediah made repairs in front of his house. Now, I want you to underline that, please. Men and women, in front of his house. And next to them, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. So now we're going to see, there's a message within this message here. That there is four men that are listed in this list that made repairs. And guess where they made repairs? It says here in verse 10, in front of his house. In front of his house. You see, it's, it's not only important that you serve. It's also important where you're serving. It's not only important that you serve. It's also important where you're serving. And are you building in the right places? And you ask yourself, am I building in the right places? You know what the, Nehemiah also did? He was so amazing as a leader because he strategically peop, put people in front of their own house. And this man here, Jediah, was building in front of his own house. You see, it's important that we know this because we have to give attention sometimes. We have to give attention to the work of God right in front of our house, in our own home. That's where it starts, the revival. That's where it starts, in the home. If there's work to be done anywhere, if there's work to be done anywhere, the way this speaks to all of us, including myself, if there is work to be done anywhere, it is done at home first. And think about this. It is done at home first. It's been said before, a church is no stronger than its homes. A church is no stronger than its homes, for it's made up of families. If there's anywhere where you have to be building the wall, is in the right place in your house, in your home. Build it there. Don't go try to build it somewhere else. Build it there. Because revival begins in the home, in front of your house. You see, a person here, and even Nehemiah, would be certain here to build a strong wall where his own house needed to be protected. 
You know why he put them right in front of their house? Because he knew that no matter what they did, they were going to make sure that that place and that wall was going to be secure. Because if it's in front of my house, that gap, that means they're going to come into my family. So he said, hey, why don't you build the one in front of your house? You, th you think that man was dedicated to finish that wall? Absolutely. You better believe he was. Because he didn't want nothing else to come into his house. So he started building in his own home. And today we need to start in our own home. That's where we need to start building. You want to see revival begin? It starts in your own home. It starts when you start to make repairs in your house. It's interesting when we study the four men whose names are listed here and what they mean for us. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to study the names of those four men, what they mean to us as key principles of repairing, as key principles of revival that starts in the home. You want a revival that starts in the home, then you need the four principles that are listed in the life of these men. What does their names mean? The four men that built in their house. What does their name mean? Because what that means, what that teaches us are here these qualities or these principles that me and you need as we build in our house. Every strong home, every revived home, every repaired home, every repaired marriage, every repaired church, whatever you want to call it, when you build in the home of your heart, needs these four qualities. Now here we see in verse, the qualities that every home needs, in verse 10, Jediah, in verse 10, that builded his own house in his name, means here, and I'm going to give it to you because I really hope you write this one down, it means invoker of God. Invoker of God, or it means one who prays. Is it interesting that the first man listed that built in his house, his name means one who prays? It means one who prays, the man that built in his house. What does that tell us about revival that begins in our home? Revival that begins in our homes tells us that our homes must be places of prayer where the family calls and invokes on God. You want to see revival take place in your home? Then it must start in your home. It must start in your home as you are here like a Jediah. What does it mean? Where your family gets together and calls out on the name of God. And maybe today you have to reestablish the family altar. Maybe the family altar is torn down. It's the, the walls of prayer are broken down at home. They lie in ruins. Why? We, we become careless about spiritual things, right? Maybe we began our life in that way, our family in that way, our marriage in that way, but because we're too rushed now, we're too busy, we're too tired to pray, that we don't pray any longer. What do we do? We have to reestablish the family altar. You want the revival to start in the home, then it starts here like Jediah, an invoker of God. Our homes should be places where we pray. Our homes here must be places of prayer where the family calls on God and where we don't move forward without prayer. Now we're going to go and skip now because it names the list, but we want to go down to verse 23. And I want to call your attention here to the next name of that man that built in front of his house. The first home tells us that our home should be a house of prayer where the family calls out on God. That's how revival begins. Now here in verse 23, we read it says, And after him, Benjamin and Heshav made repairs opposite of their house, in front of their home. After them, Azariah, the son of Manasseh, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. So now Benjamin made repairs in his home. First, Jediah made repairs in his home. What did his name mean? One who invokes of God. It tells us that our homes will be places of prayer where the family calls on God. But now Benjamin, what does his name mean? The man, the second man that built in his house. His name means son of my right hand. 
What does that mean, son of my right hand? How does that have anything to do with us, you would say? <laughs> well, son of my right hand means protector. Benjamin means protector. Our home should be a place of prayer, Jediah, but our homes should be a place of Benjamin, protector. Our homes must be places of protection and places of peace. Our homes not only should be a place of prayer, our homes should be a place of protection. Our homes should not only be a place of prayer, our homes should be a place of protection. What does that mean? That means that you're trusting God and knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. That means that you've committed your home over to the Lord and over to His protection. Our homes should be homes of prayer where the family calls on God and our homes should be homes of protection where the family trusts in God. Do you understand that? You want to see revival begin? It begins in your house. In homes where people are, the families praying to God, in homes where people trust in the protection of God. Prayer, and then you have protection. But then you go down to verse 29. And you're going to see the, the name of the other man that built in his house. And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. Again, this other third man who made repairs in front of his own house. And after him, Shemamiah, uh, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. So Zadok, what does his name mean? Why did he repair in his house and what does that teach us? Why is it that it was Jediah? Why is it that Benjamin and now Zadok all build in their house? And one of his name, the first guy's name means prayer. The next guy's name means protection. What is the third guy's that build in his house? What does his name mean? Well, his, the third guy or his man's name means justice. Justice. Our homes must be places of justice. Here we go. And integrity. You want to build the right way? You build with justice and integrity. And especially when it comes to the integrity of your marital vows if you're married. Especially with the integrity and the justice that it comes to the promise that you made to your spouse and the promise that you made even to the Lord and maybe the justice and the integrity on how you live before your children and before other people that are watching you. A lot of people want to have revived homes, but they don't want to pray. They don't want to trust in His protection and they don't want integrity. So what do you see in the first three homes that were revived? The first three homes that were revived, one was a house of prayer where the family calls on God. The second one was a house of protection where the family trusts in God. The third one was a house of justice or a house of purity, a house of integrity now, where they're now demonstrating integrity before God. So it's prayer, it's protection, and it's purity in that third house. What does it mean that, that the walls of integrity are sacred and they must be restored if there is to be blessing in your house? You want blessing to come to your house? It's not going to happen when there's no integrity. It's going to happen when there's integrity. The Lord always will bless a house that is filled, filled with integrity. You look at your house today, is it filled with integrity? If there's integrity all over your house, then God's going to bless the house. But there's not integrity in the way you are maybe dealing in your marital uh, Relationship, if there's not integrity in your finances, there's not integrity in your relationships with your children, then God's not going to bless the house. He's not going to revive and rebuild. It's a precious home where there's no secrets, where there is complete trust and confidence and respect 
that God is going to bless. No secrets. Trust, confidence, and respect. Integrity. That's where God's going to build. So we have prayer, Jediah. We have Benjamin, protector. We have Zadok, justice or purity, integrity. And then let's go down to verse 30 now. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shalambiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, here, made repairs in front of his dwelling. He made repairs, his fourth man made repairs in front of his dwelling. His name was Meshulam. We have Jediah, Benjamin, Zadok. Now we have Meshulam. So what does Meshulam's name have to be? We already know if we want restored homes, we need prayer. We want restored homes, we need protection. We want restored homes, we need integrity or purity. But if we want restored homes, we also need Meshulam, which means devotion. Oh, that's amazing how we have that fourth name there. That the Lord restores the house of devotion. Our homes here must be homes where the family is praying, invoking. Our homes should be homes where the family is trusting in, in the God's protection. Our homes must be homes that are pure with integrity. But our homes must be also homes that are devoted and separated to God. Those places of devotion and separated to God. You see, the, the blessing of the Lord is in a home, uh, in a home that is devoted, is not dependent. God doesn't bless a home dependent upon if it's a small home or it's a big home. He doesn't bless that. He blesses a home on the amount of devotion that that home has unto the Lord. You see, devotion is what really matters. Are the walls of prayer torn down? Maybe the walls of protection torn down. Maybe the walls of purity and integrity torn down. But what about the walls of devotion? Are they broken down in your house, the walls of devotion? Because before, maybe you used to be more devoted. Before, maybe you read your Bible more. Before, maybe you're interested in coming to church. You don't want to miss church. I'm so devoted to church. I'm so devoted. I don't want to miss prayer. I don't want to miss an opportunity to serve. I want the Lord to bless my house. I'm devoted. I'm so devoted now. But when you're not devoted, the Lord's not going to rebuild that house. You see, it is the walls of prayer, the walls of protection, the walls of purity, and the walls of devotion that maybe are broken down, that need to be rebuilt. Ask yourself, in those four areas today, in life, are there any walls that need to be rebuilt? When it comes to prayer, does, is it the, 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 the family altar, is it ruined? Does it need to be re rebuilt? What about purity, your integrity? How does that look? Is that wall torn down of integrity? What about when you look at the protection you've been providing for your family? Is it established as you guys are trusting in God? Is it there? Or the devotion where you had a hunger, that you were loyal unto the Lord, where you were just so hungry. You know where the real work begins here? He's teaching us and it begins in the home. Think about what the disciples in the book of Acts, there was the most powerful outbreaking of the Holy Spirit. Where do they begin? They begin in Jerusalem, in their home. They began in Jerusalem, in their home. But you know what's so comforting about how the Lord used them in Jerusalem? You know what's the most amazing thing about how God used them in Jerusalem? The Lord used them in Jerusalem, he used them to begin there where they once had failed in the night of the Lord. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you, God, because you can use me in the place that I once failed. Thank you, God, because, yes, you can use me in the place that I once blew it in. Thank you, God, because you can rebuild that place that I once failed. Alan Redpath says it like this, and I think he says it best. 
When he says there must be victory in the places of past failure. There must be victory in the places of past failure before the doors will ever open to spheres of wider service. Is there victory in your life today where there was past failure? Because if there's that victory in the place of past failure, then there's no doors are going to be open for more or wider sphere of usefulness. So many times we struggle with the same things forever, and because of that, the Lord is not able to use us any farther. There has to be victory in the places of past failure. Think about what the places of past failure were. Was it the prayer? Was it devotion? Was it protection? Was it purity, integrity? If it was those, guess what? You can have victory in the places of past failure. And that's what we're learning today. That's what we're learning. Hey, let's go back here. And as we go back to Nehemiah, I know we jumped around a little bit. But we're going to go ahead and see now what happens here and see distinctive traits as well on how people served. Everyone did what they could, you know, to be able to serve here the wall and the project that was getting done. Let's go back to verse 11 because we skipped a few verses. And this is here, Makajai, the son of Haram and Hashem, the son of Pahathab, Moab repaired another section as well as a tower of the ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Haloesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. Think about this man. He and his daughters made repairs. He and his daughters made repairs. What does this teach us here? What does this man do? He was teaching his daughters to work. He was teaching his daughters to work and make repairs. Are you teaching your daughters and your sons what it means to serve in the house of God? Because if they look at you serving the house of God, guess what's the pattern? You should also have a desire to get them involved. Because what did this man do? He got his daughters involved in building the house. You see, everyone who could make help started to work. There should never be people at our church even serving. You show up early, I'll tell you. The last thing you want to do is show up early with your hands in your pockets. <laughs> because that's saying, I don't want my hands to be used. Please do not look at my hands. <laughs> my hands were put away for a reason. Take your hands out. And out of your pocket. Let them be ready to use. Let them become available for a little bit here. That's what you've come. You put them, you hide them out. You mean you're, you're saying that you don't want them to be used. That you want them to be out of sight. No, this man used his daughters now. He got them involved in that same way. Because in the family of God, the work must be done with a common vision. It has to be done with a common vision, with the mindset or the mind of Christ. With the mind of Christ is a mind of unity. That the working can take place. Today, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you possess the mind of Christ where it's you want to get the job done? Well, because when believers work together, I'll tell you this, in one accord, with, with each of them with their own offering and their distinctive gift, yes, everyone has a di different gift, the work gets done. The work gets done that way. Let's go now to verse 20 and see what happens here in verse 20. And after him, Barak, the son of Zabai, and I want you to underline this word, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Now here we learn something else. This man over here, what does he do, do here? Uh, Barak. Barak does one thing. He repairs, but it, it uses a different word here. He carefully repairs. What is it telling you that you have to carefully serve God? How does, what does the word carefully mean there? It means serve God with zeal. Serve God carefully with passion. How many times do you carefully go to work? with passion, with zeal. You carefully go out and spend time with your friends. 
you carefully are now uh, in this certain hobby or show or anything. Are you carefully with zeal and passion serving the Lord? Now let's go to verse 27. Different characteristics of the list of people. After them, the tailkites. Wait a minute. I thought that we already talked about that. Their name comes up again. These are the ones that their family leaders, that the nobles did not want to put a burden on their shoulders. The tailkites show up again, repaired. Guess what? Here, this is amazing here. Another section. They did not limit themselves. They didn't say we already did one side of the work. Now they have to do it. They have done nothing. We already did something. Let them do the rest. No, look what they did. They did another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. What do they do? They do another section. You see, the section that they had done before, they weren't satisfied. They said that that's not sufficient for us. That wasn't a significant work for us. The work that we did before, we want to go above and beyond. We want to do more work. We want to fill in more gaps. And it's interesting that these are the people that did it. The ones that had the bad example from their leaders. I'll tell you, they weren't going to let that bad example of their nobles who did no work to keep them from going above and beyond in that call of duty. Are you letting someone's bad example keep you back from serving God? I've seen so many times in, in maybe marriages or ministries or families where a husband or a wife is not interested and guess what the other spouse does? They automatically become not interested. Because they follow the example that's around them. But the Talkite said, I don't care if those leaders are not interested in, in serving the Lord. We're going to go above and beyond and we're going to serve again in another area. What does this teach us? Don't let anyone hold you back from going above and beyond. Are you allowing anybody to hold you back today from going above and beyond? Don't let anyone else's slack dictate your pace. How does your pace look? Is it dictated by somebody else's slack? Is it dictated by somebody else, even in your own home? Have you lost interest? Maybe you, you've gotten slack like somebody else as well, right? And this is exactly what here we're learning. Now it goes on and it continues to talk about this list of people that were working. But one of the things we learned that there is so much blessing in teamwork. That working together with one accord, with one mind, in even different situations gets the work done. God will put you in different situations. And he's going to put us where sometimes it is most difficult to work. He's going to put us in, in, in situations where we have to learn how to lead. He's going to put us in situations we have to learn how to follow. He's going to put us in situations we have to work together with one heart and one mind. What does Romans 15.5 tell us? Why don't we go to Romans 15.5 together? Romans 15.5 with the same theme of the blessing and teamwork. Romans 15.5. And it says this. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you teamwork. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded. We need to be like-minded if we're working on the wall. We can't have a different mind and we're not working on the wall. We can't be, hey, he's working on those blueprints and I have my own set of blueprints. He can build it every way he wants to, but the blueprints that I'm using are these over here, my own. No, be like-minded. Be looking at the same blueprint toward one another. According to Christ Jesus. Now, we have to learn that in the Lord, that He would grant us to be like-minded. Number one, you want teamwork, you need to be like-minded. You cannot have a team without like-mindedness. You need to be like-minded. What does this teach us? The wall was continuous. The wall was continuous. But any gap that was there, that was left there, any gap would compromise the entire wall. 
You see, one gap would have compromised the whole wall. The whole wall didn't mean anything if there was one gap. Therefore, each space, each place was important. Even if somebody didn't think so, it was important. Because if there was a gap there, that means the entire wall didn't matter. Right? The wall could never be strong if someone was tearing it down in a different section. <laughs> Have you ever tried to build something and then somebody out of nowhere over there turning the corner of the wall is breaking down their wall and you're like, what are you doing? We're over here building and you're tearing it over there? Are you kidding me? Don't you see we're trying to build a wall and you're tearing it down? No, every piece, every part, and every person is important in building the wall. That's what teamwork means. It means that every piece, every part, and every person is important in building the wall. We're called to work together. We're called to a blessing. You can't be tearing one, one side of the wall and over here trying to build another side. When you tear someone down, guess what, in teamwork, when you tear them down, you're essentially tearing down the wall that with one hand you're building, with another hand you're tearing it down. Think about that. How, how effective do you think you're becoming? I've seen a lot of leaders that they think they're great leaders are trying to build a wall, and with one hand they're trying to build it, with the other hand they're tearing down someone. Guess what they're doing to that wall that they think is so great? They're just tearing their own wall down. Are you, are you the destroyer of your own wall today? Have you become the destroyer of the old wall that you're building yourself? The destroyer of the wall that's building in your home? Let's go to 1 Peter 3.8 as we end here with this last verse. 1 Peter 3.8. When it talks about unity, I love it. Because it, it reminds us that teamwork should be a blessing. Teamwork is not a burden. Teamwork is a blessing. Sometimes we think teamwork is a burden. No, it's not. Teamwork is a, is a blessing. And look what it says. Finally, you be of one mind. Have you one compassion for one another? One mind, compassion, one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. I want you to underline courteous. Courteous is so important. You know what courteous means? Courteous means that you say good morning. Courteous means that you open the door for someone. Courteous means that you pull out the chair. Being courteous. <laughs> Are you courteous with people? Yeah, courteous. Not returning evil for evil. Oh, they said this, so I'm going to say this in return. Evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, a blessing. Knowing that you were called to this. You were called to teamwork. You were called to unity. You were called to oneness. You were called to like-mindedness. You were called to that. You weren't called to division. You were called to teamwork. Why? So you may inherit a blessing. Te There's so much blessing in teamwork. You know what the worst thing in teamwork is? I'm not willing to serve with that person. I'm not willing. You want me to serve? No, they're, they're too rough around the edges. I'm not going to serve with them. There's no way. Remember, it's not about you. That's the worst line of teamwork that I've ever heard in my life. I don't want to serve with them. That is the worst line. That is the worst line. I remember hearing about a pastor that they were praying for a mission strip and they all the vans lined up, right? All the vans lined up to go to, to Mexico and, and now for a one-day trip and, and they assign everybody their, their group and they assign everyone their van and, and somebody after breaks out, you know, and they said, you know, Pastor, can I pull you aside? Was everyone loading up the vans? He said, Pastor, I need you to move me in the van. I, what, what do you mean? I need you to take me out from that van and put me in this van because the person that you put me in that van, I don't like that person. I don't want to be in their group. Because every time they say something offensive to me, or I don't like the way they are, and this and that, you know what the pastor did? He said, come here, man, let's pray. Put his hand on his shoulder. God, I pray that you would use this person mightily today, and that you would stretch him and show him love for his brother. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know what he told him after? I want you to grab your stuff. I want you to get back in that van and serve today. <laughs> Why is it that we think that we need to be accommodated when it comes to people? You think that these people all on this list have the same personality? No. But they did have the same mind to work. They didn't have the same personality, but they did have the same mind to work. We have to have the same mind to work. And we, we, we're not building to, here serving to build a resume. If you're building to serve a resume, then you have to go somewhere else. We're building to serve the Lord. We're serving to build God's house. We're not serving to build a resume. Understand that. There is a blessing in teamwork. And lastly, understand this. Do you remember that in, throughout this whole chapter of Nehemiah 3, he keeps saying the son of, the son of, the son of. What is he saying? That the work was done as a reflection of what? The son of, the family. The family is so important. Almost everyone mentioned is a son of someone. It is in the family that people learn hard work. Don't expect the Sunday school teacher to be the primary teacher, spiritual teacher for your children. They learn hard work in the home. Are you teaching anyone hard work? What do people have to say about the spiritual family that you belong of? What do they have to say? Are they hardworking servants at a live Christian fellowship? Man, the, the, the biggest blessing I one time received is that another pastor said, man, I wish we had a man like the men that you guys have over there. Man, that's such a blessing. Why? Because you could tell they love to work. And I was like, that's part of their DNA. That's the way they were raised. That they know to work. They're not scared to work hard. Today, you know what's, what's the problem? We're too scared to work hard. We're too scared of hard work. Don't be scared of hard work. If you're scared of hard work, then you, that's the mind that's never going to get anything done. <laughs> you know who's scared of hard work? People that get nothing done ever. Don't be ever scared of hard work. And there's a blessing in teamwork. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's so true. It's so alive. And we pray right now, God, that you would teach us, guide us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn the blessing of teamwork. That in our own home, in our ministries, that there would, the walls of prayer, the walls of protection, the walls of purity and integrity, and the walls of devotion would stand high and tall and strong. And Lord, that we would have like-mindedness and that we would have humility. In Jesus' name, amen.